take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ablett. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? Hargraves kicks inside the 50, bounces in front of Burns, Burns magnificently, this deserves a goal, and he's got it, what a classic. Inboard, awkward kick by Colbert, half-half ball, 50-50, Lucani brilliant, what a goal this will be, matching! Can't break free of the tackle, and Rook rolls it along the line, oh. that is amazing! Steve Johnson, another one who the Cats will be hoping gets up today. Ooh, and again there's a turnover, and Ablett, the little genius, drives it home. Chapman can run in and finish the job. of Kidinia Park, it's the Cat's Whiskers. Hello and welcome to the Cat's Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cussworth. Thanks for tuning in, whether you're hearing us on Sport FM 91.3 in Perth or through any of a range of podcast platforms. Let's meet this week's panel, beginning with Mark Browning. What a stunning weekend of football. I'm just wondering, Mark, which of the four close games was the best in your opinion? Well, I'll mention two, I think, Wes. Good evening to you and, and to uh, the other Mark and to Anthony. Um, I thought uh, for standard of football, the, the uh, Port Adelaide-Geelong game, which Geelong won by 21 points, but only sort of clinched in the last five minutes. So I thought the standard of football in that game was the best of the weekend. But I thought the finish of the West Coast Eagles-Richmond game was the most exciting. And to have those 50,000... West Coast Eagles supporters roaring at the end of that game. That probably had the biggest, gave me the biggest buzz in that way. Yes, it was uh, pretty remarkable. And also the Adelaide St Kilda finish, that was pretty exciting too, I dare say. Yeah, I guess Not if you're a Saints fan. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Not not for the Saints people, which I don't know what the balance of the crowd would have been up there in terms of supporting Cairns. Mm. Yeah, interesting question. That one might have to ask some of our uh, most northern correspondents. Mark Brunger, welcome to you. We saw Collingwood get over the top of Latterley to Melbourne on Queen's birthday Monday. Why can poorly performing teams suddenly win when a coach has been sacked or encouraged to move on, as clearly was the case with Nathan Buckley? Thank you, Wes. And uh, yes, uh, good evening to Mark and to Anthony and all our listeners as well. Uh, that is the $64 question, isn't it? We've seen it so many times over the years that clubs can lift themselves for either the coach being sacked and a new coach being in place or, or uh, you know, bucks going out on top. Uh, and uh, the, the one recollection that I have is that uh, I feel thankful in some ways that Melbourne were the team to, uh, to cop it this time around because... Traditionally, it used used to be Geelong that uh, the team would sack their coach the week before and suddenly they'd come out and beat us. So I was pleased that it was Melbourne. But look, I, I think Nathan Buckley really deserved that effort from his players. They they probably, um, you know, it's a, it's a six or one half dozen of the other scenario at Collingwood. And obviously Nathan Buckley and the club have agreed that he's not the man to take them forward. But obviously his impact on that uh, on that list um, and the the dedication that he's given to the Collingwood Football Club obviously was enough to um, to stir the emotional juices and uh, despite people like Sam Newman who uh, don't really believe that milestone games or uh, important games like that can can g you up uh, I beg to differ and sometimes you can find just that little bit more when there's some uh, some impetus on the line Yeah, I dare say a lot of people are wondering why they couldn't play like that when he was coach. Uh, That's that's the $74 question, that one. Now, Anthony Petkovic, is the AFL tribunal about to cause a seismic change to the way football is played? I think they will, Wes. Um, We're, of course, talking about the collision, the collision between David Mackay of Adelaide and Hunter Clark of St Kilda, which left Hunter Clark with a broken jaw in two places. 
on the weekend. And there's no doubt that the attack was primarily on the ball. But um, the game is evolving constantly. And I spoke last week about the fact that the high number of collision injuries caused by these ballistic actions. Um, it's something that will slowly be pushed out of the game. We're determined to eradicate knocks to the head. And the only way to do that is to educate players, coaches, clubs, administrators, and the football public. Um, I remember growing up, the 1971 grand final between Hawthorne and St Kilda was described as a game of football played without the football. There were numerous concussions and players injured. Players remained on the ground when they could barely function. And there was not a single report laid. I grew up at a time when Lee Matthews handed out coat hangers like a Chinese dry cleaner. Uh, Carl Dittrich and his elbows. The same elbow from Cowboy Neil that nearly took Peter Hudson's ear off in the 1971 grand final also removed um, Stephen Boyle's eye, a Footscrape player, who at 19 years of age is, was cut short. These men, men were looked up to, heroic, tough, hard men. No, they're violent men. And the game has moved on from those days. And the people who say this sort of thing can't be done, well, it can be done. I grew up in an era where people could bring alcohol into the ground, big stubbies full of cans. And people said it couldn't be done about that until in round one of 1982 at Princess Park when a man was bludgeoned to death in front of his young son by a man wielding a can of beer. The following week, there was no more beer brought into games of BFL football. The game has to change. We have to understand that ballistic attacks on the ball that include collecting the opponent, that you have a duty of care, and that sometimes you have to prop and wait and stop and tackle. And players have to learn how to do that, and coaches have to accept that they have to teach young players how to do that. And I think we'll start on Thursday night at the tribunal, where unfortunately David Mackay is going to be a bit of a sacrificial lamb. Anthony, just uh, like to follow on from that point, and there was some discussion um, in the media over the weekend as well about the way that the commentators and uh, past players react to strong behaviour on the footy field. And I suppose it was termed more towards Shane Mumford, where a lot of, uh, you know, ex-players and that sort of say, oh, you know, we like a bit of mummy. He's a bit rough and tough and that sort of stuff. But but that age of football is is really dying. And it's up to those um, those uh, commentators to sort of ease up on their um, on their excitement at some of the things that, uh, for example, yeah. Mumford has uh, done on the footy field in recent weeks. Mumford's trying to hurt people. And that is no longer part of our game. And players and coaches and the football public have to accept that. Um, and I think Mumford is treading on very thin ice and he's a very big man because sooner or later he's going to really hurt someone. And then the game will go, oh, why wasn't something done about this? Hmm. Um, we used to say that coaches you know, tackle to hurt them. Well, that's no longer the case. And we need to educate everybody that that is, we can play football hard and fair, but we no longer have to hurt people um, to prove our manliness and what a tough game it is. It is a tough sport. It's a 360 degree contact sport where there is literally no uh, physical protection. And uh, players have to understand that their, their opponents are their brothers and their sisters. And we need, to, we need to respect that more and more in our game. The hits harder and they are running faster. They are. Bigger and stronger. Train all, all year virtually or pre-seasons are, you know, extensive, very scientific. Is that, Anthony, do you think that's part of the reason why these injuries are now more severe? It is. Players are bigger, stronger, quicker. Um, and uh, I think that this is, this is part of the, the problem we face, that uh, the players are skilled enough to make decisions about the split-second decisions, yes, but sometimes you have to understand that you're, you are going to be slightly second to the ball. And you can, no longer, you can no longer jump 
and leave the ground and, and choose to bump, hit someone in the head, break their jaw in two places and expect to put out the old defence, oh, I was going for the ball. I don't dispute that. But you also knew what you were doing when you, when you braced for contact because you knew that you were going to be second. And I think the ramifications are being found at the grassroots level where for a long time now, AFL, junior AFL football has been overtaken by soccer where those sort of things happen considerably less. So I think that's a real issue for, for the people that oversee the game and the guardians of the game that want to see the game continue to be promoted and, and to be grown right across Australia. And mums understand this. Mums understand this. They're a big part of the footballing public. If you lose the mums, you'll lose the, the juniors. And if you lose the juniors, you'll lose the game. So don't lose the mums because they'll encourage their kids to play other sports if they see this sort of thing become a common feature of our game. Yeah, some good serious conversation there regarding our beloved AFL football. Well, coming up this week is a very special guest. It's Arden Geelong supporter and former Victorian Premier, Steve Brax. We spoke to him before the Cats took on Port Adelaide. Welcome back to the Cats Whiskers with Wes Cussworth, Mark Browning and Mark Brunger, who is up for introducing this week's special guest. Thanks, Wes. Well, born in Ballarat, Steve Brax is Victoria's second longest serving Labor Premier behind John Kane Jr. after a stunning win to oust Jeff Kennett in the 1999 state election. Braxy, as he's affectionately known, is also a longtime supporter of the Mighty Cats, and that's what leads us to this meeting. Having also been the inaugural chair of the Cadinia Park Trust, he has also had a key role in the redevelopment of the stadium into what we see today. It's our great pleasure to welcome the Honourable Steve Brax, AC, to the Cats Whiskers. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Mark, um, and Wes, uh, and Mark as well. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned, the Ballarat boy, uh, where did the love for the Cats come from? Tell us about the, the early days of, of barracking for Geelong. Well, there's a lot of support for the Cats in Ballarat, of course, as you know. Um, there's a lot of linkages and connections. And um, my, you know, it comes from a family. My, my dad was a cat supporter. We're only, um, we actually lived on the outskirts of Ballarat at Mount Clear. So it was only about a 50 minute trip um, down to Canadian Park for us. And so it was another regional uh, town. Um, we supported the cats. So dad supported the cats. My uncle, you may or may not know my uncle, um, Nick Saba and Joe Saba, who's my cousin, they're Geelong people. And of course, we had that Geelong connection as well. Um, Nick, uh, Nick had the drapery shop, Joe had the, the Staggers shop. Um, you're probably a bit young for all this, but you know, that was, uh, that was his business in Little Melt Street, I think it was. And so, you know, that we, we, we were really well connected with Geelong from a, a long, long period. Um, and um, it's been with me forever. So, you know, I was supporting Geelong travelling up the road from Ballarat to um, to Geelong and standing in the outer on a a dirt mound on when I was a little kid on beer on beer cans if you remember that was the only way you could actually get up enough elevation to see and that was what it used to be like so it's a, a thrill now to see how great the ground is after all this period. Steve, uh, those early days, do you have any recollection of the early games you went to and players that you liked and a few results? I mean. I'm guessing you're talking about the 60s, are you, early 60s? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I was, down there, et cetera? Yeah, 60s was when I started, you know, I was born in 54, but 60s was when I started watching it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to the um, 63 grand final. I would have loved to have. But I used to love Doug Wade, of course. You know, Doug, you just transfix on him and he would, uh, a bully, uh, you know, a, a, a great um, heft about him and he, he was always where the ball was and, um, you know, he even I can remember going to the MCG my first game and seeing Doug Wade and we were getting thrashed, absolutely thrashed. But Doug Wade still got about six goals that day, you know. Um, so, Doug, of course, um, I hate, hate to admit it, but number 17, the Ruckman, uh, Sam Newman, <laughs> he stood out and uh, he was the key. Um, but my love was a player which um, I knew about, um, which I didn't see play, unfortunately, uh, I know he was our 
captain coach in 69 of that grand final we should have won, by the way, except for an umpiring decision. Um, and that was um, Polly Farmer, of course, you know, and I used to wear number five in the back when I was running around in Ballarat. And, you know, he's he's magnificent player, probably the best player ever in the history of the game. Well, our, our Sport FM listeners in Perth that uh, carry this podcast as part of their programming will delight in the fact that you're a big Polly Farmer fan. I want yep. to talk about that St. Pat's experience once again because I know they've got such a proud history in APS football. They're so incredibly successful. <laughs> always have been. They've produced some fantastic players over the years. Were you much of a player yourself? I um, played. A, a, didn't play much for the school, but I played for the... Uh, Golden Point, um, which was a team in the Ballarat League. Um, it was the same team that my cousin, Ralph Keel, uh, used to play for. He ended up playing for St Kilda. And, of course, Ballarat was zoned for St Kilda at that time, so you had a lot of the inflow. So, yeah, I was yeah, a reasonable player um, um, in the league, but um, uh, probably not of the stand of the first 18 in St Pat's. They were formidable. And I think it was... Um, they hold the record, I think, of any uh, school uh, competition in the first 18 of the most number of wins over the most number of years. They didn't lose, I think, for about 15 years. Mm. It was incredible, incredible. Um, and um, I had a coach who was who was a Latin teacher I had, um, and he had two he had two messages always to the boys, you know, and Ballarat's a pretty cold place, so you're sometimes playing in ice and sleet and snow. He said, he said boys, don't flinch. And boys kick it long. That were the two things he used to say. And that was the way they used to play footy in those days. Steve, uh, just uh, moving on to uh, to Parliament and um, obviously oh, yes. your time there. Were you surprised when you when you got to Parliament? I mean, I must admit I was. Uh, were you surprised that there were so many Geelong supporters amongst the rank and file there? Because there seems to be quite a few of them. Yeah, quite a few. In fact, you've got um, three ex-premiers, um, Dennis Napthine, uh, Ted Bayou, myself. Um, yeah, obviously, when I was there, Peter Loney, who was... I, I hold him responsible, by the way, Peter Loney. He was the timekeeper in the 89 grand final. And if he had just waited and not pressed the button, we would have won that game, by the way. <laughs> I used to tell him that. <laughs> um, he's a Geelong boy, of course. Um, yeah, look, we had a lot of Geelong supporters, a lot of Geelong supporters. Um, I was a bit surprised, you know. I thought it would be Collingwood, particularly on the Labor side, <laughs> Richmond. Um, but they, there was a, a lot. And, um, uh, and of course, an, an opposition leader um, who was an opposition leader to me, um, and that was Robert Doyle. He was Geelong as well. And I think he taught in Geelong from memory. Um, so, yeah, you're well, well overrepresented in the parliament, that's for sure. So there would have been a bit of banter off the uh, off the out of the house off the when the debate stopped out the back. That would have yeah. been the first topic of conversation each Monday morning, wouldn't it? Oh, totally, absolutely. You know, and uh, in fact, I think we um, we had a uh, Geelong parliamentary group, and we used to get in some guest speakers uh, at time. So you know, we had that quite a bit as well. But yeah, we um, there was a lot of banter, a lot, lot across, even when the house was sitting across the house. You know, uh, uh, believe it or not, um, you know, you were often um, pretty friendly with people on the other side. Often, you know, and I, I was as well. So um, you know that that happened, and once you stopped attacking each other in the house and got outside, you know, you. Yeah, yeah, you had a reasonable relationship. You, you do. You did forget also one other one, uh, young Nipatris Eyes, um, who actually Nipper. Probably, probably got you uh, the, the job as premier by winning the oh. by a few votes. Did he ever? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ian, um, Ian Eyes, the son of Neil, of course. Um, yeah, well, we were waiting on that last seat in Geelong, and um, uh, I think it came down. I think we won it by. Um, seven or eight votes in the end. And um, there's, there's a little bit of a byplay here with Billy Brownless. You know about this thing? Yes. <laughs> but you, you tell us the story because our listeners so will love happened, it. What happened was that um, uh, uh, Kenneth was playing around a bit and he was threatening to try and get Billy Brownless in to stand for a seat. Um, and um, that was on. And I remember seeing Bill outside the back of the parliament being interviewed by the press and they... And, um, you know, because Bill was thinking about it. And um, they asked him about the separation of powers. And then he, and then he, then he, 
Um, he just went off into some rave and didn't do it. And then he didn't, he didn't stand. Anyway, he was um, fast forward. He was supposed to give out tickets for the uh, how to vote cards for the Liberal Party in the seat of Geelong for the last two hours of the shift. And he didn't turn up. And that was the actual seat and the booth in which we won by about eight votes. So I, I, I've thanked him a few times for his contribution, which he likes last now. I don't think Bill is political either way. He was sort of succumbed a bit. Um, so, yeah, look, and I can still remember um, we actually thought we, we weren't going to pick up that last seat of Geelong because I think there was about 20 votes outstanding and we're about even, you know, we thought, oh, these are, these are overseas votes, they're coming in. Um, and, you know, probably they're going to lean towards the, the Liberal Party through overseas votes, you know, travelling, whatever. Um, anyway, they came in and they broke our way. And lo and behold, apparently they were teachers votes overseas so there you go you can never ever judge those things so um we we won the seat by a few votes yeah and um yeah he's, he's a good bloke actually he's um he's a, he's a great member and his dad was fantastic as well of course yeah mm. pretty handy on the wing as well very much so steve have you been an interested observer of the cooperation or perhaps at times lack of cooperation amongst the states along with the afl to actually get last season happening and maintained and then once again this season with all of the challenges that are going on with regard to COVID and uh, and the dealing with the pandemic? Well, the AFL's done a pretty good job. They did a great job in getting it away last year and having the hub and I think it was excellent that uh, the Queensland Government offered that support to host and, and do it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a season. Um, but this year it's... Um, you know, it is going, but it's broken down a bit. I mean, I get a bit disturbed when I see the um, the uh, Western Australia, the Optus Stadium, saying that they want the grand final and um, take it away from Victoria. I think that's pretty opportunistic and pretty average, and I don't think I'll ever do it. But, you know, you can see that sort of thing happening. It's, it is becoming sort of territorial at the state level. Um, but, look, we'll get through this. Um, I think we'll see crowds again at, 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 at grounds in the next couple of weeks, you know, building up maybe 25%, then 50 and 75 And I think by the, the time we get to later in the year, it'll look pretty good, as it did just before this lockdown. So, you know, I think, I think um, it's a bit unfortunate what's happened, but I think we'll get there. Steve, uh, unfortunately, you stepped down as uh, Victorian Premier in uh, June or July of 2007. And, of course, 2007 is a rather iconic year for the football club when the, the drought was broken. Are you sort yeah. of somewhat disappointed that you weren't still in charge of the state when the Cats won? Yeah, absolutely. I would have been great. Um, yes, I, if I had known that would be the time we'd break the drought, I would have probably stayed longer. But um, Did you uh, get to the game? Oh, yeah, of course I did. Yeah, absolutely. And like every Geelong supporter, I still wasn't convinced that we were going to win it until the last quarter when um, when Cam Mooney kicked the first goal of that quarter. I thought, well, that's it. You know, we have won it by then. Um, even though we're so far in front, you know, we'd, you know, we'd seen so many losing grand finals, hadn't we, in uh, uh, 92, 94, 95. Um, I didn't, you know, 89 I was there, but, you know, that was one we didn't expect to win, but could have won. Um, so to um, actually win it is just fantastic. And, yeah, I was there. I was there for the... The whole family, the three kids are all Geelong, of course, and um, we had a fantastic time, yeah. Steve, I've watched the second quarter of that, the first 10 minutes <laughs> of that quarter of that game about 30 times, um, <laughs> and I, I can remember they, in the last quarter, I think it was uh, Channel 10 did the coverage, didn't they? And they, they went round all the, a lot of the older players and you and your family. Um, my recollection of coming home on the train is, is quite strange because... It was all full of Geelong supporters, obviously, and they were very yep. happy. We were quite stunned. It was very quiet. Um, mm. I think mm. we couldn't believe what we saw. What, what was your feeling at the end of the game and going into the evening? Or were you more upbeat about it? It took a while to absorb that we'd finally broken the drought from 63. Um, luckily, I was on a bit of a roll, so I ended up um, at um, our celebration in Melbourne, which I think was over at the... Um, might have been a crown, I think. I think it went down there. Um, I think the winner got crowned and the loser had their celebration at the tennis centre. So I went down there with um, you know, the late 
Frank Costa, who was there, and um, everyone else. And uh, so I, I was part of the celebration. And I know you were still waiting for him to come to Geelong, of course. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get there till the next morning or late that night. We, we were still doing laps of the CBD of Geelong with our cars honking our horns, Steve. <laughs> I think we saw on. that vision on um, TV that night. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it took a while to absorb it, but um, yeah, it was great. And then we thought, well, um, you know, I thought, well, I'm satisfied now. I don't care if we um, w- win another grand final. Of course, until the next season, I thought, yeah, it'd be great to win another grand final. <laughs> yeah. And then we had that one stolen office by bloody Hawthorne King <laughs> running the ball through for points all the time. Blame Jeff Kennett. Yeah, I do, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yes, I don't like Hawthorne, as you know, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> Yeah, we're all still scarred by that one, Steve. Mark oh. made mention of your involvement with the Kidinia Park Stadium yep. Trust. Now, it's as we've seen the development of what is GMHBA Stadium and the whole area around Kidinia Park, it's hard to believe that once upon a time, not so long ago, there was almost movement of the Geelong Football Club to mm. Marvel Stadium or to somewhere mm. else and to mm. have no home games at Kidinia Park. That would be such a, a horrid thing for Geelong as a community. Oh, it'd be dreadful. And um, so my um, connection with the upgrade of the stadium goes back to um, the time that um, the late, late Frank Costa took over as the, as the president of Geelong and he discussed with me as Premier um, what they needed to do to get support and funding and assistance to to get um, s- some uh, upgrade of the ground and a stage development and um, and I think I said to him and he's repeated this at different times that you know if you if you make it a a stadium which is used not just for football but for other things in the year and you open it up. Um, more broadly for that, well then, you know, we might be able to do something and, and we did. So we funded it and I think we funded a couple of stages. And then, of course, when I, um, more recently, when the current government decided to ha- uh, establish a trust, I was chair of the trust, as you aware. And then we were, as a trust, um, very keen to get the last stage funded and finally it has been. So it's going to be great to see that starting. I think it'll start at the end of this season. Um, it'll start. Um, probably take two years and that'll be the last bit. Of, it'll become a beautiful amphitheatre. Then you'll be able to walk right around the stadium. Um, it'll be the, the best uh, regional stadium in Australia um, and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right, uh, Wes. Um, yeah, it's hard to think now that uh, Geelong would even thinking about moving because really the economic value of that to Geelong has got no debt which is remarkable. Um, and so you break even, if you've got a home game, is something like 14,000, 15,000 uh, uh, patrons. And so the rest of it is profit. And there's no other stadium, Marvel or MCG, and I'm chair of the MCG Trust now, which gives you that sort of uh, profit margin after that break even. So Geelong's in a great position, really. And I think the economic value, if they fill the stadium each occasion, it's worth about a million dollars a game to Geelong. So it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's, um, it's a great benefit that Geelong's got. Absolutely. Steve, you, we mentioned the, the name there of uh, the great late uh, Frank Costa. Just, just mm. tell us about your, your memories of Frank and, and dealing with Frank and, and just what he, in your eyes, what he meant to Geelong and the Geelong Football Club. Yeah, uh, well, Frank was fantastic. He was there in the hard time, the fight back, if you remember, you know, um, and trying to relieve and get rid of the debt. Um, which the club had from um, before they moved to Bendigo Bank, and um, um, and uh, you know to get and uh, well, Frank was fantastic. He was he was just such an advocate, not just for uh, for Geelong and the football club and the ground, but for the whole of Geelong. And he was always always talking to me about um, developments and opportunities and things that could could be done in Geelong. And um, and he he. He was uh, second to none, really, in the sort of contribution he's made. Um, and the way he was so loyally sticking to support the club when it was in uh, difficulty and when we, we looked like we weren't going to win, if you remember, you know, having that, that review uh, before uh, the end of the 206 season, um, sticking with the coach, 
bringing in Neil Barm, which I think was a key, and relieving the, the pressure off the coach by having a good football operations manager who can um, you know, deal with all the all the uh, day-to-day issues and you know, the coach-coach, you know. That was really the sort of a turning point and an important one. And uh, Frank was tough and strong enough to stick there and to ensure that happened. And, you know, his, um, his contribution, you know, is there in the stadium. Uh, it's there in the success of the club. Um, and it's a great legacy he's left. Steve, uh, I think with any developments, very important that we keep the uh, the wings nice and narrow. Does that, <laughs> that help us win a lot of games over the years? It does give us a bit of an advantage, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I noticed the club, uh, I think when I was at New Park Trust, they've got a, another training ground that uh, Deacon have, they, where they've got the equivalent size of the MCG. So that's a smart move because we, you know, we have to eventually play there. Yeah. What, uh, what will happen with uh, the cricket club and, and what other uh, events would we... Would we expect to see? I and mean, we've had a bit of A League soccer and a little bit of big. Yeah. Is that kind of stuff we're going to see down there, or yeah. will it go expand further? Yeah, well, I think A League is a fantastic opportunity, um, and uh, and there's going to be even more opportunity if the the new club, which is um, uh, destined for Werribee, doesn't get its ground up. But I don't think it will for a while. You know, while it's longer, be a great place for that to occur. It's already got uh, victory, um, Melbourne victory uh, games, which are scheduled there. Um, um, Big Bash, um, when I was there at the Park Trust, we weren't sure whether the configuration of the ground would be suitable for for cricket and the Big Bash, but it is, you know, and uh, that's okay. Um, Rugby's the other one too, of course, Um, not league, but rugby. And uh, and the the rebels, um, I think that's a possibility as well. So look, there's some good opportunities there. I think really, um, and I think um, I think it's important to have the ground used as much as possible and have it versatile because it's going to mean it's sort of much more economically viable in the future as well. At the moment, I think the government is still putting in five six million a year to. It's not. It doesn't. It's, it's not totally sustainable now. And it, what, I think the council used to put that in when the council used to run the ground. So that's still there. But over time, if they get more activity, they can probably get it paying its way. And Geelong Cricket Club, I, I haven't seen the plan. Are they, they're being tested. I haven't either. And I can't comment on that. I know it's quite controversial. Um, uh, I was aware when I was there, the cricket made it very clear to me the deal that they got that they didn't want to change. I think the deal was um, uh, a lease for 15 or so, 20 years or something, at a dollar a year. I mean, I could not believe it, but that was that was what it was. Um, but, um, you know, if, if uh, something could be done to provide cricket with better facilities and to free up the ground a bit more, that would be a great thing. Steve, yeah. where... The, but, you know, that's, that's a very, very sensitive issue, as you know. <laughs> Steve, the Cat's Whiskers podcast crew yeah. are real consumers of sporting literature. Are you someone that likes to read? I can see on your bookshelf behind you, I know this is, uh, this is not a visual medium, the podcast, but we can <laughs> see that you've got some very inspiring autobiographies and the like, which are of mainly a political nature. But in terms of AFL football, uh, this being a footy podcast, are you a consumer of, um, of football by way of reading, whether it be oh, online yeah. or... Yeah, certainly am. Yeah, certainly am. And um, uh, I mean, the the person who referred me to this podcast, James Button. I mean, he's his couple of books have been fantastic on the club. um, Yeah, yeah, they've been great, and he's such a great writer. But um, they've been good. Um, Yeah, look, I um, I consume a lot of um, a lot of material. I, I quickly go to the back page often. I did of this week to see what was happening with Dangerfield. I think he's playing tonight, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. I was surprised that Cam Guffrey didn't get up though, but uh, um, they're saving him for next week. But we've got some pretty good ends with Duncan and Big Clavs and, um, um, and O'Connor. He's, he's good. We know, he's a good tagger, so it'd be good to have him as well. Yeah. So... Um, I think the second half of the year is going to be pretty good for us, by the way, in Geelong. You know, if, if, we, if we can keep people fit and on the field, we've got a pretty good list and uh, I think it's going to be good. Hmm. 
Steve, you mentioned you used to run around Ballarat with the number five on your back. Um, yep. yep. Who, who's, who's, who's the cat at the moment that uh, has the number one ranking for Steve Brax that makes him excited to watch the footy? Yeah, Patrick Dangerfield for me, yeah. He's a he's a he's just a, a marvel, really. You know, he's great. Um, and, you know, he's so accomplished in everything he does, you know, on and off the field. And uh, I think he's going to have a big future after football as well. Uh, I was going to say, has he got a uh, career in politics maybe up his sleeve? Well, if he does, I'll be I'll be going to him and suggesting which side he goes on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love him to, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Steve, uh, that other number five from the 1990s, you must have got some pleasure out of watching him play. Yeah, Gary Ablett was great, yeah. yeah. And not just me, my kids, uh, Nick and Amy, used to be transfixed watching him as we went to the ground, but he was great. Um, yeah, of course, he was fantastic. And uh, I just wish he um, he had got a premiership, you know. We got close, but not not quite, no? It was exhilarating football in the 90s, though, wasn't it? Like the high, high it was. And that all, all, at- all attack. Yes. <laughs> all attack. <laughs> but as it turned out, you know, um, yeah, the the bottom four or five make a difference, the bottom six, and that was a problem we had. We had magnificent players, probably the best in the league, but but just that bottom six, you know, that 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 told when it got to the finals, didn't it? Yeah. Steve, it's a fascinating thought to consider that there's more AFL accredited journalists than there are journalists actually covering uh, politics, whether it's yeah. federal or state nature. Does that amuse you? Oh, totally. It is bemusing. But look, some are what I'd say um, critical journalists, you know, sort of, and some are just um, uh, really there reporting on the sort of colour and movement of the sport. So that's probably why there's there's more of them. But it is perplexing why there is so many um, and why more more than there are in the state rounds or even the federal rounds of politics, you know. So it's quite incredible and... Uh, um, and when things are tough, you know, it must be difficult for some of the clubs. Just ask um, Nathan Buckley. Indeed. So, Steve, you think the Cats are, are obviously on the right track in um, in 2021 and uh, be uh, there when the whips are cracking at the end of the year? Yeah, I do. And um, I think the club has obviously decided um, to give it, you know, one more shot, uh, retaining some of their senior players. Um, buying in some other senior players um, and trying to get a, a premiership with this group. Um, if we don't get it this year, though, I suspect um, it'll be a, a rebuild probably after that. And, yeah, that's got to happen at some point. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I think we've got a very good chance of getting there. We almost got there last year. Uh, Half time, I thought we were going to get there, <laughs> um, you know, except hitting Richmond. Um, someone should have... Yeah, we, we need to know Connor on Dusty or something, didn't we? But, um, but yeah, I think we'll be there and we'll be there deep into the finals. I, I, I think if we um, don't have significant injuries, I think we've got a good chance of winning the Premiership this year. Yeah. And you've got to remember what year it is. It's an odd year. Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Ten years on. Ten years on. <laughs> Steve, um, to get back to journalists, in, in, in politics, like football, are there, could you always tell the difference between the serious ones and the ones that were just looking for some spin and tabloidy type um, headline? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, of course. Um, in terms of uh, people in politics, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you could, you could easily tell that and it was pretty obvious. Um, I won't mention names, but there was a Geelong person who was in the upper house who was a strong Geelong person who didn't really have his heart in it. Um, and you could tell he, he wasn't really that committed. And he's, he's now a very, very good commentator. And, um, and, uh, but, you know, that, you know, it probably just wasn't suited to it. And uh, you could tell, tell that, really. Well, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you uh, today and uh, and get your thoughts on on a lifetime in in politics and your support for the uh, the Geelong Football Club. Uh, we really really appreciate your time and uh, we uh, look forward to uh, to much success for the Geelong Football Club and also uh, much health and happiness to you and your family in the uh, in the coming years. And let's hope we can celebrate a few more premierships. Well, thank you, Mark, and um, it's been a pleasure and. 
I also hope that we see great success this year. Okay, thanks very much. Hello, I'm Wes Cusworth. Welcome back to the Cat's Whiskers. And I'm joined once again by Anthony Petkovic, Mark Brunger and Mark Browning. Let's dig into some further footy issues of a broader AFL sense. Massive support for the Big Free Seven guys in excess of $2 million raised. Absolutely fabulous response by the Australian football public in support of this very worthy cause. Absolutely. It was a, uh, a great day. Uh, all the sliders were absolutely magnificent. I think uh, Sarah Jones was possibly my favourite as Mary Poppins. I think she did a great job. And uh, who could go past Gil McLaughlin doing meatloaf, who uh, who he said got paid $499,000 too much, which I thought was just the highlight of the day. <laughs> Great, great call by Gil there. Uh, what wasn't a great call was the, um, the call out to people in Sydney to actually turn out to a game of football. Mark Browning, you're disappointed in this once again. Again, Sydney, what's going on? What do we got to do to get you out to, to footy games? Uh, Maybe they're just a cricket state, Mark. Well, I just think it's interesting that, you know, they put a state of origin game down in Melbourne and they get 70,000. And this was, I mean, this is as big as the... the um, Dreamtime game in Perth and where they had 55,000. Real chance to support AFL. Eastern suburbs of Sydney are supposedly the, the hub of the AFL support in, in Sydney. So you would have thought they could have easily got twenty five to 30,000, but they just don't want to go to their sporting venues, it seems. Yeah, it was, it was, Victoria will always be the sporting capital, Mark Branding, COVID or not. Well, I think Adelaide are good. They attend the cricket. They attend the footy. Perth, the same. Brisbane's can be a little flaky here and there. But, no, Sydney, hang your head in shame, I reckon, over the last couple of weeks. No, they all just hang out at the harbour. They're, they're a proper <laughs> AFL town, and I don't know that they are. They've got that harbour thing, you know. They all, if it hasn't got water attached to it, it just not, doesn't float their boat. Well, the send-offs send of the flavour of the month are up there at the moment in their code, so maybe maybe a few of the supporters were sent off to the sin bin. Yeah, not sure. It's a great, and it's a great venue, and it's nice at the SCG, nice and central. Um, yeah, reasonably good connections to the public transport, you know, the central station's just down the hill, buses out the front. Yeah, no excuse. Yeah, very disappointing response. Now, what was also a very disappointing call was Caroline Wilson's attack on the St Kilda footballers for putting family first. Mark Brunger, I know you're feeling particularly strongly about this. Well, Wes, uh, it was staggering to hear the comments from Caroline Wilson on Monday night on Footy Classified. Uh, absolutely uh, unbelievable in this day and age that we would hear comments like that. For those, for those who weren't aware, uh, Caroline made some comments in regards to the two St Kilda players who chose to stay home and not go to Cairns for the game uh, last weekend, uh, citing um, you know, family matters. Uh, both their wives had just recently had, uh, had new babies. And in the case of Seb Ross, his wife had had twins and had another young child under two at home as well. Um, and the indications were that they both needed to stay home for, for their the family reasons. Uh, and uh, Caroline uh, made comments on, on Footy Classified on Monday night that uh, the players had disappointed the club, they disappointed the players, and they disappointed sponsors, and then went on to incredulously say uh, that, based on her understanding, there were no medical issues with the children that would uh, cause them to have to uh, go back, and, and that they had you know family and, and support back in Victoria that could have stepped in to help, which was just amazing comments for someone like Caroline Wilson to make. She's a very well-considered journalist and uh, a lot of the time in, in her commentary and, uh, and appearances on TV shows, she'll often refer to people as being tone deaf uh, to the time. And I think on this occasion, uh, Caroline has uh, had her own dose of tone deafness to, uh, to come out with, uh, with such a statement. And in fact, even Gary Lyon, who I believe is related to Seb Ross, um, came out. Oh, actually, a bigger pardon, Tim Watson it was. Uh, he didn't say much, but his partner on Melbourne Radio on Tuesday, Gary Lyon, the former Melbourne champion, 
champion, uh, said he was absolutely gobsmacked that, that someone uh, of Caroline's standing could come out and, and make a statement like that. Gentlemen, I just, I just think that was so out of touch, particularly on the back of what all players from all clubs went through in 2020 uh, with hubs and, and, and the, the, um, the upset that, that that caused, that something as minor as, as two players wanting to stay home with their wives who, who both had young children at the time, recently born in the last few weeks, um, that, that Caroline thinks that they should have gone to, to Cairns to play in that game. Yeah, spot on there, Mark. Um, look, Caroline, to be fair, has got a lot of credit in the bank. Um, she's been an outstanding journalist for a long period of time. Australia's blessed with great sporting journalists um, across a wide range of sports. But um, yeah, sometimes you just misread the room. And um, I don't think players should be bagged on, on this sort of an, an occasion. And it's hard to think that the St Kilda Football Club would have put any overt pressure on the players, whether we're talking about coaching, administrators, fellow players. I, I just can't see it. I think she's just missed the bus on this one. Do you think the okay. issue is brought into sharper focus with the demise of St Kilda over the weekend? Yeah, a bit of a pile-on, I think. I think nowadays the media do tend to like to have a, a sort of like a club of the week that they want to really can. And uh, sometimes it's in recent times it's been Carlton, it's been Collingwood, Gold Coast have faced it, and I just think it um, it was building for St Kilda, and yeah, it was a horrendous performance. Um, uh, lost a game that they had in the bank, and I think sometimes there is a bit of a a, a tendency of our media to to pile on, and and they each try and top themselves with the the level of the pile on too. So and and Caro's really gone the full sledgehammer effect. All right, moving along to the significance of the uh, fabulous game that Mark Browning made reference to earlier, which of course is the one that we all love the result of Geelong's defeat of Port Adelaide. Did the significance for a lot of people get lost in the closeness of the other games and the excitement around the whole big freeze event and things of that nature? No. People took it on board, Mark? Fully appreciated the Cats' effort? I think I think they did, and uh, you know, a, a lot of people I think are now starting to to really talk about Geelong again as a, a genuine finals contender. And um, David King probably was the the most impressed with uh, with Geelong's victory. And uh, it must have been tough for Kingy to say because I know he doesn't have an over or fond, fondness for the Geelong Football Club, uh, but uh, his recognition that that Geelong have different gears that they uh, are now utilising quite strongly against the level of opposition they're playing. I think uh, a lot of people are now starting to uh, to see Geelong as the, the genuine uh, genuine article. And uh, a victory against the Western Bulldogs this week uh, would certainly have the Cats as the, the red-hot favourite for the flag, I think, because um, I'm prepared to stick my neck out here and say that Richmond won't be playing in this year's grand final. Oh, we might have to make sure we record that later on. We'll have to see how we go. But um, anyone, anyone tipping Richmond for ninth? <laughs> uh, no, no, okay. I think they'll make the finals. But certainly, no. Look, I'm still not completely sold on Geelong. Um, though it was pleasing to note that uh, they survived two two big attempts by Port Adelaide to rest control of the game um, midway through the second quarter, and then early in the last quarter, and Geelong. Geelong did the job, and but I still think that Port have some improvement in them. They've got some young players there, Dersma and Butters. Uh, we saw what Rosie's pace and speed did to Geelong. You add uh, Dersma and Butters to that when they get them back from injury, and yeah, Port almost had us. Um, look, Geelong are a chance, but I I still worry about the lack of leg speed. I still worry about the 10, 30-plus-year-olds in the team, and I still worry about Chris Scott's insistence on picking players who are clearly out of form um, and sticking with them come hell or high water because he believes that they're in their best 22. And I still don't believe we can get away with playing Blixavs in the ruck in finals against really, really good teams. I think as far as... 
the game being lost in the in the thoughts of the weekend is, is that's what happens when you have a Thursday night game, isn't it? Yeah. Because yes. it just gets forgotten and pushed into the background very quickly. People go to work on Friday. I'm yeah. not, and it's great for TV. Again, though, the people attending the game Thursday nights are real come down. You can just tell the atmosphere is of people who go, well, I'm here to watch the football. I'm going to enjoy it, but I've got to go to work tomorrow. Whereas on Friday nights, it's a celebration of the fact that we're entering the weekend. Um, but I agree with you guys that the um, Western Bulldogs-Cats game on Friday night is, is huge. And whoever wins that uh, will probably be the new premiership favourite. Bulldogs don't have a great record at Cadinia Park. I can't remember the last time they won. Some of you guys might have that at the t- your tips of your fingers. But it's been a while. Uh, Sorry? It's been a while. <laughs> been a long while. So that they've got that, everything to prove, but if they can knock us off, knock Geelong off, uh, then obviously they become the new premiership favourites. And their midfield and their forward line is very good. They did beat us in 2019, didn't they, at, um, at Marvel? Oh, um, in, a, in, a very, in a very lacklustre game. Um, so, yeah, look, games that we really look forward to is as big as any game that's been on, on really. Well, the Bulldogs have never lost to Cadinia Park without a crowd being there. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the, at the time of going going to uh, production, we're not quite sure what the uh, what the crowd situation uh, holds, but uh, I'm still glass half full. I think the the government will end up allowing at least twenty five percent to the game, and uh, there'll just be a proviso that no one from the Melbourne metropolitan area will be will be allowed in the ground. So. I'm I'm reasonably confident that there will be some form of crowd there. Well, let's hope the Cats can present themselves strongly and uh, I suppose whilst this program is being played out across Sport FM, the result will be known. So um, let's just go around and find out who's going to win by how much, just for interest's sake. See how wrong we can be. Anthony? I'm going the Bulldogs by a point. Mark Browning? I think the home ground advantage is, is going to be enough for the Cats to get over the line by 10 to 15 points. Oh, he's got a spread there, 10 to 15. Mark Brunga. Yeah, Cats by 15. Goals? No, 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 not goals. No. We remember the last time you tipped the Cats by 15 goals against Carlton last year. and um, I don't, rec- I don't recall that, Anthony. Where- I, I, I remember it vividly. I don't recall that. I must, must, must have a me- mental problem there, or just not sinking in there. It could be up there with Richmond won't play in the 2021 grand final. Oh, you know, you can take that one to the bank. Uh, okay. Where's is it time or is it a copyright problem with um, having a segment on a show called Mark's Multi? Well, it'd make for some amusement, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Don't worry about Indeed. that. Oh, thanks so much for your efforts, guys. Terrific. And it was terrific to hear from Steve Brax. We are so grateful to him for being a part of our program for this week. The Cat's Whiskers is accessible on a range of podcast platforms, along with being heard throughout Perth on Sport FM 91.3. On behalf of the entire team, I'm Wes Cusworth saying thanks for tuning in and we hope you can join us again next week.